going through this all of these changes in this last year and seeing the impact of when these bills are introduced and you you actually can't have a difference to to change it um like with the CLLC and just certain people actually talking to the, the people that are introducing these bills and saying well this actually might not work and so certainly there's some sort of role to stay educated for um just individual do-it-yourself owners and property managers and to still find a way to reach out and be at least one more voice to if you don't agree with the with this proposed bill to to say why and see if you can make a difference there too Hey everyone, I'm Jeremy Haig, the Editor-in-Chief of the monthly Denver Landlord's Digest newsletter, proudly presented by Key Renter Denver Property Management, and we're on a mission. We understand that being a landlord or property investor comes with its fair share of challenges, and that's why we're here to help. With nine years of hands-on experience managing over a thousand rental properties, we've been through the trenches and learned the ropes so you don't have to. The Denver Landlord's Digest is your passport to the world of successful landlordship, curated by our team to provide essential insights to thousands of landlords and rental property investors worldwide. With our new monthly podcast, we want to take you behind the scenes of the Digest as we sit down with local industry experts, diving into burning topics related to rental properties and providing you valuable insights and actionable advice. Not a reader of the Digest yet? Click the link in the show notes so you never miss an upcoming issue and visit our website at keyrenterdenver.com to check out our archive of past issues. Now, let's jump into today's conversation and discover new ways to thrive in the world of rental property management. Welcome to the Denver Landlord's Digest podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Denver Landlords Digest podcast. My name is Jeremy Haig. I'm your host and moderator here on the podcast that uh, supports our monthly email publication, the Denver Landlords Digest, as well. I think this conversation is going to be really interesting for a lot of our investors that may be self-managing some of their properties or are trying to do a little research on all of the changes that have happened as we wrap up 2023. But before I really jump into that, I want to introduce back to the show my co-host and co-moderator, Brandon Skolton, CEO of Key Renter Denver. Welcome back. Thank you for joining me again this morning. Thank you. Good to be back. If you just want to remind our listeners, anyone that's joining us for the first time, a little bit about you, a little bit about Key Renter and kind of what brought you into what you do today. Yeah, sure. So I, I was in property management a little bit before launching Key Renter, but that was in, I guess, April of 2015. We officially launched. So yeah, coming up on nine years. Thank just you. Trying so to add some value for uh, the Denver landlord community. Yeah, there. absolutely. I think what one of the things that Brandon and I identified, um, along with uh, the rest of our uh, executive producer and editing editing team for the digest is that there's just a huge gap specifically in the Denver rental market of uh, a voice around education and around providing a little bit of support mostly because as a company we have so many years and reps of experience 
making mistakes and learning things along the way. And if we can help other investors not make those same mistakes, it seems like a great opportunity for us to do so. So, um, yeah, totally. Like just one small example of that. You can find probably a thousand calculators online to figure out if a rental property looks like it would make a good investment that is, you know, listed for sale, right? right? So you can, and it has fields to plug in the different numbers, but try to find a calculator that says you already own this property you have for a few years. And now you want to see, should I sell it or should I rent it? All of a sudden, like it's virtually impossible to find anything. So that's kind of the same gap I think we're seeing is like a lot of information on finding the deal and, um, a lot of that's put out by the real estate community and that kind of thing, or the real estate agent community. But then um, when it comes to like just the more, okay, you're in this, you're, yeah, and just hitting snags day to day and trying to uh, be proactive and think ahead and stuff that not nearly as much information out there. So trying to, yeah, just support landlords out there that are figuring it out. Love it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And today I'm really excited to introduce um, a member of our Key Renter family as our guest for today's episode. And that's something that we're excited to do uh, as we go along is have interviews with some of our vendors and then also um, some of our, our fellow colleagues here at Key Renter who have some experience in particular areas of uh, the rental uh, and investment industry that uh, are part of the topics that we're choosing to cover. And I, this one seems like a perfect fit for today. So I'm really excited to introduce David Mitchell from Key Renters here with us. I wondered if you could uh, just say hello and tell us a little bit about you and kind of what brought you to what you do with us today. Yeah, thanks for asking me to be here. A little bit about me. Um, I joined Brandon's team a few years, three, pretty Coming close. Up on three years ago. Close yeah. to three years ago. I got into real estate on the buying and selling side uh, a little over 10 years ago and then um, in 2016 got into property management and um, since joining Brandon's team um, I'm the operations manager here and help with a lot of changes like these with um, yeah anything related to law changes and, and digging into that and how it will impact us and the way that we operate and and what we can do to make sure that owners are safe, that we're in compliance and, and so on. Awesome. I'll just add there too, this this year, David became the employing broker for Key Runner because he really was just becoming more and more like he was the one situated in that role of making sure we're staying compliant with all the new legislation with, um, yeah, just there, outside of new legislation, there's other things that happen that we just become aware of or that are tangential to what we do that, that affect us. So uh, he spends a lot of time in that headspace. He's the one talking to our attorney about how best to implement things or what, you know, managing different risks we come across and stuff. So yeah, excited to have him here to, to join this conversation. It's a great introduction to the topic that um, I wanted to discuss kind of as a group today in kind of a casual setting is just looking back at this year. Uh, obviously, this episode is coming out in December of 2023, and just realizing that there have been a lot of changes, especially in the le- like in legislation and that kind of thing, and ordinances that do affect rental property owners, rental property investors, and I think there are many people out there who feel, myself included, honestly, as I started to do research and write blogs on this. It's, it's a very overwhelming thing to try to distill what do these actually mean for people and what does that mean that you actually have to do? Like, what are the action items? What, how do I have to be 
what do I need to do to be in compliance? And I know that David, you're a huge part of that process for us as a company too, is like, how do we make sure that the way that we manage our properties is aligned with these changes? And so I thought that this would be a really good conversation to have. Um, There's four specific legislation that I thought we'd bring up as we go through, but I think the biggest one that's probably on most people's mind is that uh, Denver introduced uh, the Denver rental license as a requirement for the Denver metro area. And I wondered, Brandon, maybe if you could help me start this off, could could we just talk through a little bit of like what what does this mean? Like what does it mean to to require this? Maybe even a little context as to like why do you think this might have come up this year or just kind of helping us lay get a lay of the land as to like what even is this? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I know there's been other areas of the country where rental licensing has been around for a long time. And that was just, even like my mother-in-law had a rental in, um, Belleville, Illinois. And that was just every year you needed an inspection and you need to get your permit for that year. Um, and this was, I mean, this is not new at all. I think they've had that for 15 plus years or something like that. So, um, that was just one place I'd seen it. And I remember being surprised about that and talking to her about it, but yeah, I, I think, I think sometimes it probably starts with some concerns about people seeing, you know, some rental units that are just things that should not be rented. Um, there could be some some amount of um, they're trying to get a handle. One of the, I mean, there's always like the things that the that the people involved with this are saying publicly as to what the reasoning is behind it. And you know, I think our audience will have varying degrees of trust in how genuine what they're saying is, but. What they stated, at least, was they wanted to get a handle on just where the rental properties are in this community. I mean, they have no other mechanism to know, right? So they, they said it's kind of a resource allocation, too. If they knew one neighborhood is 90% rentals, that probably just changes how they how they govern in that area or what resources might need to be there. No, that, that makes sense. Thing. So that was the stated um, purpose. and. Um, you know, it doesn't seem that the fees are pretty low, so it doesn't seem at least at this point to be a huge like revenue generating thing for them. But, you know, there's speculation that, that some, some states or municipalities will have a specific tax that you have to pay something off the top on your rental income and stuff. So is this laying the groundwork for those kind of things? I mean, we'll see, but yeah. Do you have an, do you have a similar perspective on it, David, of just kind of like what this means, like large scale? Yeah, I think Brandon said it pretty well. Yeah, there wasn't anything that they've laid out in the FAQ section of like this is dissolving property rights and your freedoms or anything extreme oh. like that. Yeah. But, yeah, I certainly have friends who might who like you know the communists are coming. That's how they interpret <laughs> yeah. what's happening. Here, yeah, but it's minimum housing standards is yeah. what they're going after. That, I think and that makes a lot of sense. I guess we didn't fill in that part, but you do need an inspection for this. And so yeah, it's it's it was geared towards let's make sure that if you're going to offer a rental in our city that it's up to some standards and again like nothing in the standards makes you go like that's unreasonable right right? there are certain things that some of the maybe like egress windows and stuff where i'm I'm a little concerned that there's there may be some properties out there that i'm like i I don't know how you modify that to get it compliant right um so have you seen any of that where something just is not going to be able to get a rental license and it's no we haven't come across that i think Overall, we've probably helped um, over 100 owners through this, and 
seen about so that many inspections and I would guess maybe one out of four comes back as non-compliant and but it's generally for smoke detectors just small things like that that's a great a transition actually David will you will you kind of help um, explain to me like uh, say I have a rental property and I'm interested in procuring my license will you walk me through kind of the stages and steps of like what do you have to do to do that yeah and actually I think that the city has it laid out pretty well yeah on their website they have uh, numbered step by step of read the ordin- ordinance review inspection requirements determine how many licenses you need and so on but really you want to <clears throat> the what we tell our owners uh, an easy fail is to not have a fire extinguisher and so Mm. we make sure that that's there and then you want to obviously have smoke detectors and co detectors and then really at that point i think you send the inspector out and then see what they come back with um, and then just take corrective action action after that but you do need to get the inspection before applying and that and once you apply then you know you're waiting on the city at that point but once you get your inspection you have I'm pretty sure it's 90 days to apply within that that window for the inspection to still be valid. And the the inspection has to be done by a um, kind of this certain, they laid out criteria of a qualified inspector. And so that criteria is complicated, but they have to go get, um, there's kind of two lists and they have to have one of the certifications from each list and there it wasn't something that a bunch of people already had like we when the inspection companies we've worked with basically saw this and then had certain inspectors on their team go test for these things or they might have had one of the things from one of the lists but i know a lot of it was almost like it's it's testing and certification and stuff around like like city planning and code development and things like that so um we we pursued kind of maybe having somebody on our team get this we thought we could kind of do it in-house and it was just not feasible and um yeah without certain experience and stuff like that it would have been really kind of challenging to get anybody that was on our team yeah like qualified for it and if i was to pass these tests and everything it was kind of expensive too yeah i remember you mentioning that if i was trying to find an inspector who's certified for this do i do that on the 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 city website the city just put out basically the city said hey if you're certified for this let us know and we'll add you to a list and so there's a list i don't know how many people there are now yeah i pulled it up right here it it's really it is a just a list that you click on and then it's basically an excel doc looks like there's about 50 inspectors okay. it's certainly right more than one like a year ago we were at like under five. 10 yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like four or five so yeah um and then in your we've done this uh for quite a number of our clients now what kind of timeline have you noticed in terms of like have we run into any issues getting like if there has there been any been any hang-ups in trying to get an inspection scheduled or anything like that that somebody might want to think about no not with who we've used we haven't had any issues with that there are always complications scheduling with tenants just for anything of course but they uh, who we've used uh, seems to be really quick and really good at getting out there we use scott's scott's home inspection we can plug them they've been a good nice partner for us they've been really good yeah, sometimes they'll even get out there the same day. Wow. But so the delays now that we're seeing is on the city side of the actual approval. It's okay. taken a few weeks. Uh, six months ago, we'd get an approval back in five minutes. And now I'm, 
at least two weeks, three weeks, something like that before something comes back. Yeah. Yeah. And the, I think how the thing's written, you just have to make application by the deadline. So as of January 1st of 2024 for mm-hmm. everybody. That's a really good point. We, we kind of missed that part is, um, obviously, well, maybe not obviously, actually, uh, multi-units, were re- when were those required? I know that date has now passed. But... Yeah, it was just a year ago, yeah. January 1st of 2023, any multi-unit property, which wasn't condo townhome in most cases, but true, you know, duplex and on up to huge ones. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that was confusing to a lot of people because some someone may have half of a duplex and think they're a multi-unit, but it's not. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But it did. There were weird things like if you owned multiple properties in the same condo complex, like maybe there's right. 50 units and you own two of them, then you did qualify as right. mul- as the multifamily. And oh yeah, that's a good point. Is that not every unit uh, is typically required to be inspected? Is that correct? Right. right. Is it 10? Is 10 percent right? I can't remember the exact percentage, but and it's definitely on the website, so you could go look it up. Yeah, but yeah. there's, or I think it's, I, I'm pretty sure I remember seeing that it was 10 percent of. I think that's right the units that you have if it's a multi-unit like that um there was like a randomness to them so you yes. can't like pick your own unit right or something i i know that scott's they want to if it's a, gr- a below grade unit so if you have like a duplex and one's upstairs and the other's a basement basically they want to see they want to do the basement or they have to do the basement and i know brandon mentioned this but i want to kind of spell it out too is and and would, do you believe that that's more than likely because of the egress window requirement? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it would probably make seems sense. Seems plausible. Yeah. yeah. Could we, um, I know we've we've kind of mentioned a few of these, but I also want to just like com- keep coming back to it too of um, what are some of those specifics that if I'm preparing to get my inspection done, I need to make sure that I've thought about. Not it, Obviously, this won't be everything, but maybe here are some like fail safe things that I can just really quickly check before... Um, we mentioned fire extinguishers, obviously is a really important one. Smoke detectors, carbon monoxide, um, the egress windows, if, if applicable, is there anything else that you've noticed or, or told our, our clients to make sure I've, they're thinking about? One of my properties failed cause the heat wasn't working. So just heat working. Okay. Good idea. Yeah. Yeah. I think <laughs> habitability just in general is okay. a good thing to go off of. The, but, and this, like we could... Maybe someone's just not by a computer, but you can download the list right, yeah. and look it over. So it's not like they're keeping this hidden. Yeah, or... they do have a checklist. Yeah. yeah, perfect. What are the costs associated with this process? Um, maybe starting specifically with maybe for somebody who's not currently one of our clients, like if, if I'm doing this on my own, what costs should I, should I anticipate in this process? The inspection, that's – I'm not sure what some other – inspecting companies are doing a scots we're at 195 for that and then your license and application fee for a single family is 75 if it's multi it's 150 okay got it and then um as a company this is a service that we do provide to our current clients is that correct yeah um what what does that typically run for one of our clients if they're listening and haven't signed up with us yet and want to jump on that yeah, it's 400 for us to go through and just be able to walk through that process for you and just take it off of your hands. Yeah. Essentially, make sure you don't have to get on a government website and trudge I, through that. Yeah, that was one of the, like, especially the first few that we went through. It was incredibly confusing and tedious and um, 
so that was yeah when we kind of looked at that we were like we should definitely help out i yeah. think some people would just not want to deal with this and a lot of those like i think they've probably improved some of it but just like a lot of questions that are really confusing and you're like am i answering this right or not i don't who's who are they referring to here that kind of thing so um yeah we've gotten it down to where it's not it's not too bad at all but um at first it was definitely kind of tricky and it kind of aligns with the perspective that we've tried to bring is a property management company to begin with which is this idea that there is somebody out there if you want them to do so where they can kind of just really take everything for you and you just get to enjoy the benefits of being yeah. a property investor and so I feel like that it also just really aligned with the purpose behind why we do this in the first place and is if, if there's something like this that we can provide as a service yeah we're more more than likely going to totally do optional that. too like we're, absolutely people are welcome to do it on their own if they're clients of ours too so. if um am i correct in saying too that just to make sure that you have good expectations as a client of ours if you do ask key renter to apply on your behalf uh we would hold uh how would you describe that that we would yeah. do you know what i'm getting at you could yeah, the entity, what the license is held under. And so it would be under key renter's entity as opposed to the owner's entity. And so, and what that means, essentially the city says, who's going to hold this license? And then we're saying key renter's going to hold the license, not not the owner. Yeah. And as an extension to that too, it, as of now, these licenses are not transferable. It's easy and, and without any kind of fee to just release the license mm-hmm. if it shouldn't be under key renter's entity anymore. But that would mean the owner would need to go out and yeah. get and the license again. Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I just think it's something that's important to know. And like like you said, it's not a huge, um, maybe it's a, a few extra steps, but if, if necessary, can be done. But just yeah. I, I think it's always important to understand that that, is just just by the nature of how the license is set up that's how it would work um, yeah we couldn't we couldn't get away so that we're getting it on behalf of the or getting it in the owner's name or whatever so yeah. was, this was the way it worked in your communications and just kind of the conversations you've had with our clients uh david what do you think the public opinion of it is do you feel like people are pretty ambivalent or uh just about how they felt about the process or, or the necessity of doing it. I'm just kind of curious how, how people have responded in, in your, yeah in your experience. I, I guess in a joking way, a lot of people don't like it, yeah. right? They, it, it can certainly be looked at in a negative light and like, why is the city doing this? Why, yeah. why do we have to do this? And extra steps, yeah. like extra things to do. I think that's the general sentiment and Mm. yeah it is extra work it's confusing it's complicated it's something else that you have to do if you're an investor if you're trying to make money off of your your property yeah so how often is there is it an annual fee that i need to pay um or is it once it's done you you're good the license is good for four years four years okay awesome i'm curious on that if they'll because you basically have so many people who got it right in this window, right? And right. From the date it's issued, now you're on a four-year timetable. So even for the city, eventually this will probably smooth out. But for it seems like for quite a while it'll be like this huge <laughs> influx of work right in that you know last six months of every fourth year, and uh, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. yeah, we were joking about this a little bit before we before we hopped on the episode, but I think it's also important. <laughs> to talk about too is do we have any 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 sense of like what fines or 
if if I'm not uh, licensed or it's like yeah we we had one owner receive a warning of a fine and it was um, was it one fifty for the first was the warning the one fifty or did it say it was the warning and first there was a warning first fine yeah okay. first fine I think is one fifty then it goes up to five hundred and then maximum is nine ninety nine and possible jail time. Got it. <laughs> Do and, and you mentioned this too, is it's the sort of thing where like, as long as you've started the process, you're pretty in the clear at the moment, even if it's not fully. You have to have made application, which I think you need the inspection right. to make application. Got it. So, yeah. Um, so if you fail your, and if you fail your inspection, I don't think you can apply yet, right? You'd have to get that. Right. Yeah. So it's definitely something if, if people haven't, thought about or started the process on we highly recommend just yeah, just had, getting going i had one that if, i don't know why it just did not occur to me to start this process we were talking about it internally and i was just like oh my gosh i haven't done that yet so this was like in i don't know november or something i'm like well i still got time but then failed on the heater thing and um it's just nerve-wracking for me because i know with the airbnb thing right they went out and arrested you know, some employing broker from Kentwood and he had his mug shot in the paper and everything as a way to like, kind of be like, Hey guys, we're being serious about yeah. this. I'm like, I don't want to be the poster <laughs> child for enforcement here. So beyond, uh, the rental licensing, there's been a few other legislation that have come up this year, some on a big scale, some on a small scale. Uh, and so I just figured I'd bring them all up and we can, we can discuss them. There's four that have really kind of stuck out to me that will affect uh, property investors. There's the radon disclosure, which I personally had experience with because almost immediately after this one passed, my apartment complex up in Thornton did radon testing in every single unit mm -hmm. um, and sent us the results of that. And at first I was like, okay, that's interesting. I've lived here for like two years and we've never talked about this before. And then as I've done research into it, it makes a lot of sense now. In order to be com in compliance, I have to be aware of kind of what the, the radon levels are in my unit. Actually, and maybe I'll, maybe let's start here for a second, actually. I am not originally from here, and so radon was not something I had ever heard of before. What is, what is that? Like, what does this mean? Like, what is this about? It's some something that's in the soil that breaks down over time and emits some radioactive thing right? yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that's better than what i would have said i do I'm, know i'm going back to like yeah it's been 20 years since i took chemistry or whatever but i do know that in varying opinions you can go to montana and actually go to radon springs i've heard about this yeah just soak in all the radon that you want <laughs> so but you're not allowed to live in it <laughs> right yeah um, yeah there's some evidence that it i think causes cancer over a yeah. long period of time or something. So th for a long time, this was a was a big deal in Colorado related to just real estate sales, right? So mm. it was very common that, that if you were going to buy a home, it still is, if you're going to buy a home, you test for radon. Mm. And then a lot of times it does come back that there's some low level of radon present. And so you put in a mitigation system that is essentially a fan mm -hmm. uh, that just circulates air in that area or something outside so that it lowers the rate. In my perspective, I feel like this one is one that's more than likely not going to have a huge effect on property investors. Do you think that's a, f a fair perspective? I mean, I think I think I think the biggest thing is just if you bought a house and you did a radon inspection, um, 
then you know whether or not there's radon. So the requirement is that you disclose in the same way yeah. to your tenant. That so I feel like the, the like action item, if you will, here is not a huge thing. Um, I'm surprised like in your place that they were testing in every unit for especially because you don't like if you're on the second floor or something like that. and i was on the third yeah yeah that's weird and they, they was an overreactive landlord or something probably probably and they, they brought um like the little kits and they're actually kind of cool looking um and they left them in our unit for like four days i think and then came back and collected them so i feel like maybe the biggest thing is if you don't have any knowledge around if there's radon exposure in your unit Maybe that's something to look into there's, and then disclose. There's no requirement to go test. It's just you need to disclose if you know. It's kind of like oh, lead, lead paint. So the the actual disclosure form, didn't they, they provide a disclosure form now? Maybe not. I don't know if the city did or not, but we have, obviously yeah, we have okay. one. I think that it was attorneys that drafted it. For us. Okay. Yeah. So maybe, or maybe you could use, maybe the real estate commission at some point will have a standardized form that they put out like they do for lead paint. Well, I guess that one's from the EPA, but yeah, but it's also on their website. So, um, as a way of like how you go about disclosing it, just so it's clear, but yeah, it's more disclosing what you know, as, as opposed to like, there's no requirement to mitigate or that kind of thing. Okay, cool. So that was the first one that really kind of popped up in my research. The second one, uh, was the prohibited provisions and rental agreements, um, which es- essentially restricts certain clauses in uh, rental agreements. And so the biggest thing that I, in my perspective too, and this is again, the like, I don't spend a ton of time with like the legal side of our leases. And, and I know you do a lot more than, than I, I do, David. The biggest thing that I see here is that it might be worth having somebody like really look over the lease for you to make sure that all of the clauses, et cetera, that are in it are in compliance. Would you yeah. agree that that's the biggest like takeaway for this one? If you like having been around this world of rental real estate for a while, you get landlords who've owned property for, you know, 30 years in Colorado and they have maybe in their first few years, they developed a lease that's working for them and they haven't really probably visited it since. I can almost guarantee there's lots of things in an agreement like that that would violate this. Because there was just, I mean, you're writing the contract, so why wouldn't you write it as way, much in your favor yeah, as the way you, you can, right? To, like, yeah. And so it prohibits things like, well, hey, if we go to court and I lose, I'll pay my attorney's fees. But if you lose, you know, you got to pay them all or something. And yeah. So it's some of the things that just, yeah, when you kind of think about it, you're like, that is pretty one-sided, right? Of, yeah. You can't have a liquidated damages clause that goes one way, things like that. So. Um, I don't know what else was there eviction penalty clauses so you can't be adding penalties on top of the, the hard costs and yeah you can't have you can't have tenants waiving all legal rights but but all this stuff would have been pretty standard quite a while back right yeah it's the sort of thing too where like if you were if you were try to try to pursue an eviction with an outdated lease there's very unlikely that it would be upheld because of the wording is that is that fair to say i don't know that's a good question will you say that again so if you were to try to pursue an eviction against a tenant with a lease that is like you're saying does this almost make your lease unenforceable that's that's what i'm wondering i don't know yeah i don't know i don't know about that i also was thinking too if we need some sort of disclaimer like this is not legal advice oh absolutely all that no absolutely I think the biggest one for us was what Brandon, one of the ones Brandon touched on was um, like attorney fees, 
for eviction and and we just can't we can't do that anymore which is that's a big one operationally for us because if a good tenant is in default in some way doesn't pay rent and we have to evict them um, in the past they were the reason why we were having to go to court so we say this we have to tack on this court fee too and we can't do that anymore. oh got it okay we also, I remember one of them in there was like the tenant can't waive or you can't require the tenant to waive their right to a jury trial or something like that if they if they request a jury trial. So it's a lot of things that are just saying, hey, the law of the land needs to prevail here, not just you don't get a contract your way out of it. Yeah. Um, so it's bringing some, some balance, I guess, there. But there are some things that when you read it feel a little, can feel a little bit like, man, you're like punishing landlords. Mm. Um, and, and I think sometimes these things have a tendency to have a little bit of that feel of like, you know, they're inherently trying to protect the, the little guy here. And so it, but as a landlord, you're like, I'm not, you know, a lot of our landlords yeah. own, own one property they used to live in and, you know, they're not wealthy people. So yeah. it's shifting some of the costs and that kind of thing back to them. So yeah, mixed feelings, I think all around on these things, but some, some of this stuff feels pretty reasonable. No, I get that. I totally get that. And again, you make a really good point too. Like nothing about the conversation that we're having today is meant to be uh, legal or financial advice. It's more of just kind of opening a conversation. Um, But every situation is unique and you should definitely pursue your own legal support to kind of know what actions to take here. And I will say even we've had the challenge of hearing different things from different attorneys. Totally. They don't always know exactly how this will play out if it goes to court and everything. So there's a speculative nature to all of it. And we certainly know less than even attorneys do. And they don't know everything about what all this means. So we have two more that I want to go through. And I think in our... Uh, in the work that we do, these are the two that probably have affected us the most in my limited opinion. Um, the first one is the pet animal ownership and housing, which, uh, basically just limits additional security deposits and pet rent, um, and restricts insurance companies from discriminating based on specific dog breeds. And I know we've probably had to make some changes in how we, Appro- uh, approach like applications and leases with pet ownership is that uh, is that fair i wish they would have titled this one like the pet bill of rights because <laughs> that's what it feels like yeah no absolutely yeah we we really for us and, and there's so much to all of these i mean this we're, we'll do a, a little two-minute recap on this one but even myself i've attended multiple two-hour sessions with attorneys and webinars and just trying to learn about this stuff so but for us it's really the limits the pet rent and the pet deposits limits we're going off of that obviously um the insurance that's that's good to know that really doesn't affect us yes um you know we notice that a tenant is being i don't know that that they have a, a certain breed and their insurance is actually making some sort of did this prohibiting? Did that. they end up limiting our ability to restrict breeds as property managers or landlords? I think that was in one draft of the bill, but they shifted that. I think so too. They kept it in place for like insurers, but not for landlords. I think it's really the the limit on rent and deposit prohibits insurance, and then extra protection for pets during the eviction process. Got it. And this was one that changed a lot as it went through the legislative session. That's something we haven't addressed yet, but like basically the first, I don't know when the legislation session kicks off. It's like in January, and then it like has to be done by like middle of May or something like that. 
I might have my dates off a little bit, but sometimes it wraps up early. But this year there was like a ton of bills, not just for us, but like across everything. So it was like, I think it was like a record number of introduced bills or something. But yeah, they, they go through this whole process of first they're uh, sponsored by a, either someone in the House or Senate. That's what gives them the title of either HB if it's a House bill or SB for where it originates. Then it goes through like a committee process and then uh, then it gets voted on it in that body and then it goes to the other one. But all through the process, it's changing and shifting. This one was going to be crazy at one point. Yeah. Like there was, this was like, you can't charge anything for any pets or restrict any of them. And like, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it was something like that where it was just going to like completely remove landlord's ability to do anything as it related to pets. But, you know, in its final form, it became a little more reasonable. A little more attainable. Yeah. No, I definitely remember people uh, because we were communicating in our email, uh, just like our email correspondence or email marketing. Uh, keeping people updated as this one was moving along. And definitely a lot of people had their concerns about this one for sure. Yeah. And then the last one uh, that definitely is affecting us is the portable screening report for residential leases, which if I'm understanding this correctly, basically means that uh, if a tenant has a screening report, is it 30 days within the previous 30 days? Yeah. Um, But it has to be... There, there's requirements about this screening report, correct? Like it can't just be from anywhere, right? I could talk a little bit. The aim of this bill was to, uh, they for a while it seems like there maybe there's some bad apples out there who are just basically posting a property for rent and collecting application, application fees. fees forever and never actually renting it, or maybe it's already rented, or who knows, but. And, and very high fees potentially. And so they're really trying, th- this was the second of another bill passed a year or two ago that limited like how much you could charge on application fees. Um, and, and like you had to, they had to reflect your real costs and things like that. But this was kind of a follow-up that they wanted tenants to be able to like apply once and then take that application different places so that it, um, yeah, kind of limits they're out of pocket for applying for places. I think that one makes a lot of sense. I mean, I know that for a company, a property management company, there's definitely pluses and minuses in the sense that does the screening report match the criteria that you would like to see? I like, I could absolutely see how that would be uh, potentially opening a door to like, just not necessarily being the best situation, but I do also see where they were coming from, from a tenant's perspective of like, pay for that screening report once. And then if you're applying to, gosh, I don't know, like a ton of different properties all at once, you know that you have the ability to do so and your your financial well-being is not going to determine how many you can apply yeah. to. So I, I Zillow kind of already had done this on some level of they created their own little screening report that's that was transferable across any other properties listed on Zillow. So, um, but yeah, I think on so many of these, it, it feels so egregious at first and at least maybe that's my challenge, but I, sometimes I maybe overreact to how much of a burden this is going to be or all the problems or, yeah, we're thinking like almost like we've seen in, in the pet, in the, um, assistance animals where people can go online and spend $20 and, say and then they get a letter that says this animal's an assistance animal or whatever so you you almost wondered the same thing like is there just going to be these places that'll say that you pass with flying colors 
but didn't actually check anything, and then they can just shop this round. It doesn't, I don't think we've come across anything that seems like that yet. Um, and yeah, to your point, if it just, if we're just not running as many screening reports, but we have the information we need, I don't think that at the end of the day is a huge problem for us. Yeah. Right. It, there is a bit more too with income requirements that they changed for applicants too. And, and that was a big adjustment because yeah. now it's what oh, we yeah. can actually look at and say who is approved and who is it based off of the requirements. And like for now, if they have a housing subsidy, we can't consider credit score and there's a income limit that we can consider too, instead of if you wanted three times the amount of, of rent as income, you can't do that anymore. It's, it's two times. And that was kind of a shocking one for everybody yeah. because I like requiring a tenant to make three times the rent is, was pretty darn standard across like, you know, companies and, apartments and do-it-yourself landlords and stuff and so all of a sudden they cap that at two times which just seems a little crazy right if your gross income is three thousand a month and you're going to go spend fifteen hundred of it on housing like i mean that that, you have taxes that come out so it's not like three thousands even your take home so it um, certainly limits some of our ability to be concerned about tenants ability to pay so this this will probably take a while to see what the how it shakes out if we really see default rates go up and stuff but yeah it's kind of concerning kind of looking at all of these the rental licensing ordinance and the four legislation that we've very broad strokes walked through i'll make sure to link the direct uh bills in our show notes as best I can so you can go like really look into the details of this because there's a lot there's a lot here that we could only like just begin to touch on yeah don't use our podcast to write your no, updated this... <laughs> policies <We're laughs> don't write your lease from this conversation of... <laughs> yeah. but I wondered if we could kind of take a step back as we kind of come towards the end of today's episode what do we feel like these changes and these decisions and the fact that they kind of all came out of one legislative session what do you think this reflects as far as broader trends in the rental market? Or, or is there? Is there trends here? Or is this kind of uh, an, an oddity in a vacuum? Or, or do you think that there's something here? Yeah, one thing I heard someone say one time that has resonated is just if you have, if you live somewhere where rents go up 10 plus percent for like three plus years in a row, look out. Yeah. Because it's just fertile ground for now. All the headlines in the newspaper will talk about affordability and have there will be all these sob stories and all that stuff. And I don't want to make light of that. Like housing affordability is a really big deal and it's awful right now, right? Yeah. Both buying and uh, renting is, is it's as bad as it's been where people are just having to spend more of their paycheck than they have in a long time for housing. So it's not as if that doesn't matter at all. That's not what I'm trying to say, but... It, it just, in general, it creates a landscape where landlords are viewed more negatively, um, tenants are maybe are being abused in some way, or they're just also having a harder time getting yeah. by and stuff. And so you're just going to get this, like, wave of let's do what we can to legislate to, to create balance in this uh, relationship. And uh, I think that's what we're seeing here because this is not the first year. This was probably the most impactful so far in terms of we had multiple things that we had to navigate and figure out how we were going to handle. But, uh, you know, I I know some of this stuff will come up again next year and 
it's been three, four years of this. So. Yeah. Is it fair to say that this was probably the most legislation directed towards housing just kind of across the board that we've seen in a I while? I think so, because, yeah, we didn't cover some that only impact, like, big multifamily totally. buildings or even, yeah, there was the one about how properties are sold, um, how multifamily properties are sold in the city's first right of refusal. And there was some stuff that really is a big deal. It doesn't quite touch us as much, but I would say this is the, this was the worst we've seen. And I would... and as far as like a greater impact, I think that you do see some landlords just getting fed up with it. Yeah. Saying, I don't want to own property here. So maybe that means they just invest elsewhere or find other markets that they feel are more landlord friendly. I do think there's probably, like I even described, there's sometimes just a reactionary response to it of. Absolutely. I feel like all property rights have been stripped away from me. And when the dust settles, you're like, okay, it's, yeah. Life is still pretty similar to what it was before. Like I just had to adjust some policies and stuff. But so I don't I don't think long term it's going to like scare all the landlords out of Denver or anything. But yeah. Anything you've run into, David, or, or even advice that you might offer to our clients or also self-managing uh, landlords or investors that are just kind of sitting with all this information, <laughs> trying to know like what to do with all this? Uh, I, the, the theme for me is it, none of these make it easier on landlords. They're mm-hmm. all tenant friendly yeah. and kind of what Brandon was saying, trying, you know, that's them trying to bring balance and what they feel is balance. And so it's, it's tough to stay educated with all of this. Um, you know, I, I'm a pretty big DIYer in the way of like if water heater goes out, oh, I think I could do that. And um, I managed my own rental properties for a while when uh, several years back. And I think I had to evict somebody and I feel like I got really lucky with that looking back now. And maybe it's because I do this job now, but I, I, my wife and I own other properties and I have a property manager. I, I just wouldn't want to do, to do this by myself. Yeah. Um, not trying to have any kind of plug or anything like that but i think just to give some context five ten years ago i would probably never hire somebody to manage a property for me and now i just would not want to do that and maybe that's just because i'm i'm in it so deep i can get so so scared of it too and just i have a friend that's in auto insurance and he has a camera on the front of his car and the back of his car and so he just scares himself because he knows what might actually happen so maybe maybe that's part of me too i get no that's a really good analogy though i totally get that and i think this is actually one of the questions that i wanted to bring up towards the end and i think this is a great transition from what you were just saying is kind of what role can key renter play in helping landlords whether they currently work with us or are interested in eventually maybe someday not even necessarily right now move towards working with a property management company, what role does companies, let's, I'll make it broader. What, what role does companies like Key Renter play in helping people stay compliant and um, kind of ease the weight of all of that? I know we've talked about it a little bit, but I think let's come back to it again. Yeah. I mean, I, I just would say as, as the owner of this company, I very much think it's our job to stay abreast of this and try to like figure out best practice and how to, you know, I remember early on a line that I would say a lot was like, we don't, we can't take all the risks out of owning rental property for anybody, but right. we can certainly help minimize some of them. Right. So I think it's, I think every company should have 
feel some responsibility to to maintain compliance and you know attorneys are always going to recommend we write our contracts to say we're not going to be liable for all this and everything and and that's just the nature of it but um, at the end of the day it affects us a lot too like I think that's even if you even if in a contract you say I'm not responsible for this like we dealt with a fair housing complaint right where it very much was on us right even though we were coordinating with the owner but he had no idea what to do with any of this and so we helped out through that whole process and I talked to attorneys and stuff like that and um, I think it's just often how it shakes out is like we we are so involved in it that we're going to be there to help um, yeah. navigate the tricky stuff that can come up and and we're just going to see a lot more than a single landlord so I think the, that benefits the group as a whole right of we get burned on one thing and all of a sudden we're like okay well now we know and yeah. we're going to look out for that and that that can be a challenging thing um Dave and I have talked about this some but we're like one of the challenges we can have is navigating security deposit returns and David's been to court a couple of times and seen how a judge views a security deposit dispute so we're using that information to kind of inform how best to handle these things but some landlords feel like we're you know not not having their best interest in mind and so it's just a tough sometimes it can be tough but that's what we're doing is we have these scars to know that yeah. this is how we should proceed here. No, absolutely. I think this was a really great and really important conversation. Again, this is just the beginning, in my opinion. This is, should just be a starting point of beginning to expose yourself to some of these pretty important and big changes that have happened in this industry over the course of 2023. Um, and as we get ready to close out, um, I wondered if each of you just had any, like, any final thoughts on this or any... Um, even if you have any perspective of like what this might predict about the future for, for this industry or um, just kind of any last minute thoughts about how important this is or what it means for anybody listening today. Yeah. A couple of thoughts. One, I would say I, you know, I just hope, and there there is a bit of fear for me that you get some legislation that's really problematic that shifts things. I mean, last year, one of the things that was being floated around was this, Basically, if you ever non-renewed a tenant's lease, that was viewed as an eviction. And so in order to non-renew a lease or to not offer renewal, you had to meet certain criteria to, and then they're now just going to call that an eviction. So it sounds very harsh, but. Um, was that the just cause eviction one there that, you did, go, yeah. that didn't pass? Yeah, It didn't pass, thankfully. But yeah, it was just, that was one where you're like, this really would shift things, right? Like we've, we deal with some tenants that are really a problem and. If you now, you know, if they know how to kind of play the game and avoid these couple of things. So, yeah, I think there are, um, we stay involved in this and we we support the CLLC, who's a local landlord kind of advocacy group that does some lobbying on this and, and that kind of thing. So I do think there's there's some significant risk there if on certain items. But I also think that, you know, this is just part of the, part of the deal and this stuff's going to pop up and, um, and we'll keep sharing what we learn from it. And hopefully that helps, you know, that's, we're, we're helping more than just our clients and saying what, you know, what we've learned through this process. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think just to continue for what he's saying, you know, rent control, I don't, I feel like that maybe that was was tossed around, but mm -hmm. they also think that that's probably coming up in the future too. Like that's going to be brought up. And so, 
going through this all of these changes in this last year and seeing the impact of when these bills are introduced and you you actually can't have a difference to to change it um, like with the CLLC and just certain people actually talking to the, the people that are introducing these bills and saying well this actually might not work and so certainly there's some sort of role to stay educated for um, just individual do-it-yourself owners and property managers and to still find a way to reach out and be at least one more voice to if you don't agree with the with this proposed bill to to say why and see if you can make a difference there too awesome we'll definitely link to the clc because that yeah yeah, good you you can make a be a monthly donor to that i think anybody who especially if you own multiple properties like this kind of just doing your part to make sure we're um yeah, just advocating for landlords and making sure that the perspective of how this impacts landlords is, is heard. Um, and then I would also say the Cheddar Sulzer is a big law firm that a lot of people are familiar with. They do a lot of evictions, but they also put out some good information and they, they do a good job of sending things out through the legislative session when there's times that it does really help to show up and testify or uh, email your representative, that kind of thing. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I just want to thank both of you again for your time and for kind of joining me on this conversation about some of these changes that have happened. Uh, as always, if you're interested in more information, you can always subscribe to the Denver Landlords Digest if you have not already. Uh, each month, we send out uh, an e-publication on a particular topic in the property management and property investment industry. And this month, uh this was the topic that we chose and each podcast episode will just support that conversation with a little bit more insight, a little bit more kind of a peek under the hood of what people in the industry are thinking and feeling just as an additional uh, educational piece. But once again, I want to thank you all so much for tuning in and we will join you next month for our next episode. Thank you for joining us for the Denver Landlords Digest podcast. This podcast is produced by Key Renter Denver Property Management with executive producers Jeremy Hegg, Brandon Skolton, and Andrew Tybert. We hope you'll take a moment and click the link in our show notes to subscribe to the monthly Denver Landlords Digest e-newsletter and visit our website at www.keyrenterdenver.com to access our full archive of past editions. Thank you so much, and we wish you all the best of luck in all of your renting and investing endeavors. If there are specific topics or conversations you would like to see both in the Digest and on this podcast, please take a moment and email jeremy at keyrenterdenver.com.